Welcome to Rebel and Creates Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where we hear real stories from real men living real lives. I'm your guide, Ned Shout. Fatherhood is not only about being a dad, it incorporates providing and serving a home, loving and serving a spouse, engaging and serving in a community, as well as intentionally serving our kiddos. Fatherhood is an adventure, one full of fun, wild, and definitely messy stories. This conversation with my friend Larry was really good. I'm excited for you to all hear all the nuggets that he shared. But not to give it all away, a couple things. He talks about how to be present at home and something that he does every day when he gets home to switch from work mode to dad mode. He talks about living in the gray and that there really isn't always this black and white. And then he shares their uh, experience with having biological children as well as adopting. Before we get into the conversation, I just want to throw out there to everybody how excited I am for the Fatherhood Legacy Journal that is on Kickstarter right now. Please go help us make this journal a reality. It can't happen without you. It's definitely all hands on deck. This journal is designed for everyday dads like you and I to be fully engaged and present and intentional in the lives that we desire to live on the adventure of fatherhood. I'm stoked today. I am in Benicia. Yo, 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 my yo. friend Larry. What's up? <laughs> How you doing? Doing great, man. Super, super thankful just to be a part of this and see what's going on with uh, fatherhood. Yeah, man. Fatherhood, I'm passionate about, excited about, and um, I'm stoked that you're willing to talk about it. Yeah. We, we are both fathers of many. Yes. <laughs> uh, so there's, you know, more than normal. So carving out time to do this. You're uh, almost into an industrial sized vehicle. We just are not in that we are on the suv but you're not right the at the cusp we're at the cusp that's where you we are. cut it off we didn't want the weird man <laughs> that's what it is though <laughs> that's awesome that's not the best it's like the reason why you're like i just can't do that i just can't do the van. that's like when you first started you're like i can't do the minivan and the next thing you know you do the minivan because it's the most economical thing to do the minivan does make the most sense but my wife won't drive one my wife won't let me get rid of it oh okay yeah, I had to like, I was the one who had to work through it. Like it was some sort of like man issue that I had to get in a <laughs> minivan. And now I'm like owning it and I'm like ripping that thing around. Yeah, it makes sense because it's so convenient. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So to give people, you know, a little understanding of who is Larry, you and I have met a few times yeah. over the past uh, probably two, three years. Sure. When I visited some good friends, Sean and Aaron here yep. in Benicia. Got to meet your whole fam. Mm, yep. And uh, so how old are you? I'm 38. 38? Yep. And how many years have you been married? I've been married for 15 years this December. Okay. When's your uh, anniversary? December 18th. This yeah. is like a test huh? my wife's <laughs> yeah. going to listen to it. <laughs> I just cut out a 30-second pause for everyone to know. <laughs> um, okay. So 15 years. Nice. I've been <laughs> That's married. That's the best. I'm going to start doing tests. Like, if you hear this, it's been edited. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Okay, 15 years yeah. and four kids. And what four are the kids. ages of the kids? I got a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 7-year-old, and a 4-year-old. Dang. And no more. And no more for sure. You know, I'm going to say for sure um, because, and you already know this, we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, we have done both the biological thing and the adoption thing. Yeah. And the adoption thing we actually did internationally and then we did a locally through foster care mm. and um, went through that process for many years and really kind of feel like our family's complete okay it's 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 a ministry in itself yeah um and 
anything else for that, for at least us, it, it all costs something. Right. You know, even outside of finances. And so to feel like we can do the best that we can do. My wife works full time. Okay. I work full time. So we both, you know, it's, we're all in rhythms and this is a, we're in a good spot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to get into talking about that. So four kids, the ages are pretty close to mine. I actually have 13, two 10 year olds. An 11 year old who I there skipped. was a 30 second pause. Yeah. We just edited it out. <laughs> and a, Almost seven year old. So yeah. seven, two, 10, 11, and a 13. That's so, the fun ages right there. Yeah, man. It's, it's super fun. Except last night was Halloween. Uh huh. And I picked my daughter up from school, 13, and she's like, Dad, I really don't want to go with you guys tonight. Yeah, it's too cool for school, bro. So it was the first time we dumped one of our kids. No, she you went, actually did. Yeah, it. I did it. Wow, well done. Yeah, I'm trying to go, okay, what battles really matter sure you know so anyways we'll see yeah you gotta you're, you're letting them fly a little teeny bit yeah yeah it was it was kind of a bummer but oh well uh <laughs> she was stoked so we're good who was it more of a bummer for the other kids or or you okay so funny enough they didn't rebel against us for doing that mm -hmm. but then on the way home when we picked her up they all informed us that next year they're gonna all be going with their friends Interesting. And so, you're like, well, that's when you start pulling the age thing. You randomly making it up. Mm, oh, yeah. that's a rule when you're 13. Yeah. So you still got to wait See, three years. We learned our lesson with that. We don't give ages now because one kid might be ready for something before oh, totally. another kid. I'm with you. We, we learned that lesson hard too, but especially a, between the our oldest girl okay. and then our 10-year-old son. Oh, just, totally different. Just mountains <laughs> different, dude. I mean, they're on different mountains. Yeah, but you're right. A lot of times as a parent, you just start making crap up on the fly totally. to get out of the situation yeah, yeah. when do i get to do that oh when you're five yeah. then they're five you're like no no you really you shouldn't it's but dangerous. they remember but they <laughs> remember counting the days down yeah. randomly four months later it's like hey how many more days until i've figured it out it's 600 days until i get to do <laughs> yeah. what you said and you're like what oh yeah, my just gosh. nothing else to think about for That's them so right? funny the promises of the future um okay so you said you have a girl boy and then what are the other two I'm I'm girl boy girl boy. Okay. So I'm biological adopted biological adopted. So two bio girls, two adopted sons. Okay. Okay. And, uh, so cool. My my um, oldest adopted son is Ethiopian. Um, we had him since he was born, or since he was you know in an orphanage when we could get over there. His mom died um, at uh, birth um, of. Uh, premature incident. It was a placental rupture, so it was you know not good. She was eighteen. Wow. There was a grandfather still around. He's the one who actually took um, Malachi to the orphanage at the time. His name was Isirdao. And so it was good because we actually got to know a bit more of a story. It wasn't just one of those like found him on the side of the road or, you know, got mm. dropped off somewhere. But it was really a grandfather who was a lot older that was like, I'm not going to be around nor can I take care of this kid. And, um, Isiyurdao means like, may God take care of you. That's what the grandfather's name means? That's what he named oh. my, our son Malachi. So we changed his name. We were like, we're bringing him, you know, bringing him to America. And it's like, I don't know if we should keep the name Isiyurdao. Yeah. And so um, <laughs> originally, dude, we had planned his name was going to be Trent or Trenton. And it's like looking at a black kid and you're like, you're not a Trent. <laughs> but his middle name was going to be Malachi. And, uh, and so looking into that Malachi in the Bible as, as a reference, it was God's messenger. Mm. And we really felt like he was God's message, message to us. We were never pro 
all into doing adoption and stuff. We were able to have our own kids. We'd had a conversation, you know, pre-marriage and then during marriage of like, you know, you have that, like, how many kids do you want? Would you ever adopt? All those different things. And that was something that neither my wife and I were interested in. And, uh, it was kind of cool how it took place just out of nowhere. I was losing sleep about a little boy in Africa. You were losing sleep yeah, about a like boy in Africa. Constantly. And you already had a biological daughter at already that time? Already had a biological daughter. And how old was she? She was one and a half, two. I mean, it was close to around that time to think about like, hey, if we yeah, have another, have another. plan. Yeah, because the plan was always to do two. Okay. We both had grown up in households with two. And uh, it was like bugging me, but I was like not into it. Not now, interested Did you tell your all. wife about this? So I waited a long time. Oh, really? Until finally it was... I'm tired of thinking about this. So maybe if I just say something and mention it to her, she'll be like, yeah, no. And I'll Cut be it. like, and then I'll be like, totally. All right. I feel yeah. better. It's like yeah. off of me. Right. Right. So I didn't even like wait until we were like, you know, on a date or some special moment. It was literally like we were just cleaning up the house and like both doing stuff. And I was like, Hey, what do you think about adopting a little boy from Ethiopia? And she like stopped and looked over me and smiled. And she's like, I've been thinking the same thing too. I didn't know what to say. And we were like, no way oh, crap. <laughs> yeah. so we had this like big high five moment which was really cool because we were like man god was preparing both of our hearts at the same time but yeah. knew it wouldn't be good if it all happened together mm-hmm. you know out loud like that yeah and then we were both like nah so we spent another six months and didn't do a thing didn't touch it was really and didn't talk about it much no nope, nothing dude which was really interesting because my wife is such like a planner and a mm. thinker and so like typically something like that she'd be like doing research already and just right. learning about it i mean like it, when it comes to anything literally that's how it is and this just wasn't happening and so it was um one night i don't i wish i remember what we were talking about but we were with like a small group of friends we were leaving and we got in the car and we just sat out in the street for a second, looked at each other and we're like, we both like both had this feeling and it was so clear and we've done mm. nothing about it. So we decided that night that we would uh, go ahead and learn about it, go through the process. And if the doors were open, let's go. But if the doors close, we're not going to look for a window to jump through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to learn what we learned. And so we went on a, on a journey and ended up meeting Malachi and uh, he was Isir Adal DeWitt. We wanted to keep some of his identity with him. Mm-hmm. So we made his last name his middle name. So he's Malachi DeWitt Davis. And so that way he always you know, has a piece of that. And then uh, coincidentally, we did the same thing with our, our youngest son oh. through the foster adopt system. His last name was Evans. And so his middle name is Evans now. So Man, that is incredible. So how I could old give is... you hours of stories about that stuff, but yeah, I think I would like to dig into some of that because I mean, I'd like to dig into some of that. And then also, you know, how it works having your two, you know, biological daughters and two adopted sons Yeah, and how it looks. So how old is Malachi now? He's 10. And have you talked to him about his story? Oh, he knows it all. He's known it all from the beginning. I mean, are you talking about that specific piece of the story or are you talking about just that he's adopted? Yeah. Like who he is, where he comes from. Yeah. He, I mean, since, since he was young, I mean, he, he recognized right off the bat. I mean, we're two pale white people. You <laughs> yeah. got white sisters. Yeah. You know, um, it was, it wasn't long before. Um, so really interesting. I mean, it's really tough, man. Um, Culture is nuts. You don't know what it looks, feels like to be stared at until you're around someone that gets stared at. And I'm saying that in like the kindest, 
this isn't like a, a racist conversation. This is real life. Like, yeah. you know, you hear all these conversations about just the difference in equality, all the above. Right. Now that I'm in that group and my family's in that and like I'm with my son, it's different. Like you see things different the things people say out loud. So really my kids have, you know, like just silly stuff. My kids have been around it. My daughters have been very defensive of your of daughters brother. have had to be defensive for your sons. Yeah. They'll be at a playground. They're in a playground one time and a bunch of boys said nobody with poopy skin and color is allowed to play on this playground. Oh my gosh. Just silly stuff that you wouldn't think yeah. like actually still happens, but it right. really does. It's just be real life. The same side I've had, you know, African-American people, um, while I'm walking with my son, you know, tell me what they really think about, you know, our family and us being together, you know, where it's, uh, you know, like people that you see regularly. No, just even in the, I remember I was in the stands, I was in a football game with my, but they've seen you before probably. No, uh, no, it's just how, dude, it's just how it is. It's a different world. What's so strange is I had a woman like lean over and say, don't think you're doing any of us a favor. And so I just looked at her. I said, when you're willing to raise your hand, take a kid because you love them, then we can have a conversation. Don't give me that crap. You uh, called her out? You said that? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I yeah. think I think that that's showing my kids too. That's the reason we're doing it. This isn't right. some trophy. This is this is a kid who needed to be loved and cared right. for. Right. And and we raised our hand and said, yeah, no yeah. matter what, it's hard and stuff. And, you know, my, my wife's gotten before in the in the grocery store where she's got, you know, the four kids and they're all little and. They're like, oh, hey, yeah, so you brought the daycare here? And she's just like looking at him like, why would you even say things yeah. like this? I've had it happen too. Like, oh, yeah, you doing childcare stuff? I'm like, no, this is what being a dad looks like. This is fathering right now. Like I got my kid here and I'm cruising through Costco. Like I said, even today, you know, I get them all. We all do the 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 honeydews, the errands. Yeah. And just because our family looks diverse. I mean, my youngest son is Vietnamese, African-American. So we get to celebrate all kinds of different cultures. So that's, that's fun. And I think it's healthy for my daughters, um, and our family. It shifted us. So it's, it's shifted the way that we say things, think things, see things. Yeah. Just all together because there's a, you know, um, like I was talking about these young kids that made comments, um, to my son. I don't think it's because, um, they just like were born that way or something happened. Right. And it's not because I think they feel necessarily mean or like they're trying to be mean. It's something that they're not used to because guess what? Their parents haven't put them in situations. What happens is you start hanging out with people that are like you look like you or like you. And that's what's then told said even through action of what's safe, right? Healthy, normal. Right. Yeah. So even, even if you're like in a school that doesn't have any kind of diversity, that that shows like oh this is what's normal this right. is what group I belong right, to right right and so it's it, you know we even shifted some, a school because we felt like it was our responsibility as parents to make sure that they had diversity to see what things really look like yeah so a couple things that you said that I gave you a ton of rabbit trails yeah yeah I know I love it <laughs> okay so you said a comment this is fathering sure that's that's happened in the store many times. Oh, you've actually said that this is fathering to someone. Oh, yeah. So what is fathering? What do you mean well, this is fathering? Yeah, Taking I'm not, a kid? I'm not daddy daycare. I'm not child care. Mm. Like, it's like the whole comment of like, oh, looks like you get to do the babysitting. Yeah, it's terrible, I'm not, huh? I'm not babysitting. 
I'm I'm investing. I'm doing life with. They see everything. I mean, doing I, life with. I think that's the greatest comment. Yeah. There's a couple of things that have stuck out to me over the just talking about fatherhood is just being together, and then what you just said, doing life. My my kids get to see all life with me. I t- I take them to all of it. We're I'm very intentional about that. We, what do you mean? Like what? Like what's something that a normal I don't want to say normal. A dad so wouldn't a typically. Twelve year old since she's been ten, she sees our budget. Mm-hmm. I'll walk her through everything that we have come in, go out, how to make a budget, how to cook, how to plan things, like how to talk to people, how to respond. They've watched me have a conversation with someone else from my car window. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just, <laughs> and then have a conversation about whether that was a good idea or not. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, but it's, uh, yeah. When, when I'm sad, when I'm mad, when I'm processing, um, there's apologies involved mm-hmm. of like, man, I shouldn't have responded like that. I shouldn't have acted like that. Uh, I should have been patient. It's just, just all of it. Um, well, I'm also intentional. I'd take, um, so, you know, you guys don't know this. We talked about this a little bit. I work at a church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a pastor. And um, one thing since they were young, I really struggled with was my time yeah. and making sure that my time was used appropriately and where I was gone a lot. I was either gone because I was doing youth stuff and I was gone for weeks at a time for camp stuff and out all of these nights or, you know, now every single weekend. So we only get one day off together right now because they're at the rhythm of school. Right. And one right. of my work days is a Sunday. So I used to, you know, write him letters and talk to him about just the struggle I had with that. You used to write your kids letters. Yeah. So like when I would go away for camp, I would let them know I would thank them for letting me go and love Ah. other people and that what they were allowing me to do was a gift to me and that, um, that I felt like they were loving other people through me by doing that. Yeah. And then that was important for them to understand and know. And part of, you know, my struggle was, is gosh, how much am I sacrificing of the people I actually really love the most for people I love, but barely even know. Right. It's like, right. Oh yeah. Hey, I, something just happened. This crisis in someone's life that I don't know that. Well, I'm going to leave whatever we're doing right now to go love on them. Even though you're the one I love the most and it's devastating to you the most. So this, this, um, I didn't want them honestly to hate what I do. And what I'm called to doing, I want them to feel like they were a part of it and um, that they were asked to be a part of it, that they don't have to be a part of it. So like one thing I do is um, uh, every Sunday I go to work and I'll do it other times, but I take one kid and it's basically their day day with me. Okay. Place. They come with me at, they're up at 545 in the morning on a Sunday and they're pumped about it right now. I mean, they know which weekends their turns, just them. It's all about them. They come, they do a meeting with me in the beginning. We go to Starbucks, we get breakfast, we talk, we come back in the back, we hang out. Then they kind of get to do what they want to do. Yeah. Uh, they can pick a place that they want to like hang or do service or they can hang with me. And then I'm teaching or, you know, hanging out with people or the different things I do. And then afterwards, a lot of times we'll go get lunch, just the two of us. Um, but it's great because we get to talk about life. Yeah. How's your week? What are you looking forward to? Like it's an intentional pause, especially with four to hang out with each of them. Yeah. There's broader, there's broader big things. We all date our kids for their birthday, you know, like a one-on-one. We take them out. Um, and that's more of teaching them, you know, what it actually looks like to be 
you know, taking care of on yeah. a date, what's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Have rela- what, a, what does a relationship look like yeah. with another human? When we're focused on that stuff, when I'm, when I make comments about caring or not caring or like, you know, like with the girls, I've told them like, Hey, I'm down with you talking to a boy, but he's got to show up in my office first and meet yep. me. <clears throat> um, it's not just a conversation because they've been around me in my workplace and they've seen me interact with people. So it's not a fear. They understand now that it's, Oh, you care. Yeah. It's not like a rule. Right. Um, and so I've lost now the prom ticket uh, years ago with my oldest when she was younger. It was like, Hey, I mean your uncle, <clears throat> um, who's my best friend, but he gets called uncle. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to drive you and your date to, to prom. We'll like, we're going to think of drive you. And you know, years ago it was like, okay, yeah, that'd be awesome. And now it's turning into like, <laughs> I don't think I actually said, okay, <laughs> I know so you need to record I've lost those that things. card, but I'm still going to keep the card of, Hey, if some boy wants to hang out and talk with you, he's going to go ahead and hang out and talk with me first. And it's not an intimidation thing. No, it's, he wants it's to respect. Yeah. He wants to be big kid and be around my daughter then. And she respects enough too. like, Oh no, no, that's actually a big deal because my dad cares about me most. Yeah. He's going to be able to inform me about my decisions. Yeah. So good. So a couple things. Okay. Most dudes have a job they go to and it's causes some kind of stress. Sure. So we come home and we're supposed to be engaged with our families. You being a pastor, I would suspect that there are days when there's heavy things that people are coming and sharing with you just like any job can be stressful but i feel like there's definite really i really darkness i really worked on this for a lot of years okay so how do you come home yeah yeah. so um i I started to struggle with that because i want to be present yes and i wanted to figure out how to take off um as I got older and it's not like I'm that old, my endurance, I think for those things started to wear before mm. I could hear something and roll it off. Yeah. Move on. But, um, emotionally it started getting more and more difficult. I was losing sleep or it just wasn't present. And so it was figuring out how to remove that. So I went everywhere. I was talking to counselors. I went to therapists. Like I was like, how do you do this? I mean, this year, I was trying to find anyone who would have any kind of similar experience, first responder, whatever, like, how do you leave whatever that was so you yep. can be fully present and aware with your family? No one had anything good. It was crazy. I mean, I, I spent years. I would, I would go to like big conferences, keynote speakers. I'd find them afterwards and be like, I have this one question for you. And they'd be like, what kind of question is that? Mm. You know, it's like not the thing. Don't they get did. real. Yeah. Don't, we don't want you to ask so, us something really hard. Uh, I think different things work for different people, but this is what finally worked for me. When I get home, um, I have this really weird thing. Like if you were to come over to my house, that doesn't look normal, but I have a hook, um, mounted right up next to my door. That's kind of up high inside you, or outside outside. Okay. You couldn't actually hang anything on it because then it would hit the door and then you couldn't close the door. So when I have those types of days, when I get home, <clears throat> sit in the car, take a deep breath. I walk up, I grab the hook with my finger. I open the door and then I let it go. So it's like, I'm literally taking off whatever and I'm going to hook it on the door and I'm going to leave it there. Cause I know that as soon as I come back out tomorrow to go do whatever mm. it's gonna It's going to get right back on me. I don't even have to grab it off the hook. Right. So metaphorically I hang it there. I walk in, I go right to my room and I change my kids. Now leave me alone. My wife leaves me alone. They're not running up to me yet. It's all good. They've kind of figured out my rhythm, my routine. I'll say, Hey, like, Hey guys, I go into my room, I change, get totally new clothes on. 
Then I come out and then I'm like, boom, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for like them all running over, giving me a hug. Hey, yeah. and I'm fully present to be like, how are you doing? Cause I've kind of had my moment to take off whatever was going on because I don't have to work at getting it back. I don't have to work at, you know, um, being like, what was it again that was going on? Yeah. You don't got to write gonna, it down. Yeah. It's going to show up, man. So where'd the hook come from? Where did the, so you, you spent years trying to figure this out and then one I day trying to come up with this idea of how do I take this off? So I kept trying to, that, that was literally part of my questions. How do you leave? How do you get that off your shoulders? How do you let it roll off? How do you, how do you leave it somewhere else? How do you leave it outside? And so did how somebody give you work? this idea or did you no. just? No, it was this whole idea of how do I take this off? And things that you take off you has usually a place to go, right? Mm. You hang something up. You get over to somebody's house. What do you take off? Your coat. Yeah. You hang it up. You tell yeah. a woman, hey, you can hang your purse here or whatever. And so it was that concept. And so it was like, well, maybe there's just. You know, that, that's what I get into a mindset of like, I'm going to go ahead and hang this here. Yeah. And then and why the change of it. clothes? Just a cleaning thing. I mean, I could go and wash my hands if I wanted to. It was just something to symbolize that there's a, there's like newness, like it's a yeah. switch, Yeah, you know, almost like from a uniform, you know, like you wear a suit from a suit to like comfy clothes. And, yeah. This is know. me. I'm not that, I don't have to be that anymore. Yeah. I'm going right to shut now. it off. Yeah. Cause it's, it's turned out funny. Cause if I, if I stay in those clothes or if I come up those, if other clothes on, you know, like clothes I don't normally wear, but yeah. I wear to go do work things. My kids are like, where are you going? Oh, you got to go back to work. Oh, what do you got going on? You got something going on. I mean, like now they've kind of, it's weird enough to say, but I've kind of got a uniform. Um, it's almost helpful things. though to have the uniform because when I'm in this, I'm doing that. When sure. I'm not, I'm fully present for you. Yeah. My, um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. My office staff even recognizes it. They're like, wait, why are you in here today? Is somebody in trouble? Like you're going to have like one of those meetings today with somebody. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, I just have to go do something else. And they're almost like, okay, this isn't you. Cause I, I'm super laid back. I mean, I'm wearing like what I'm wearing today. I'm like yeah. in a t-shirt and sweatpants or, you know, basketball shorts or a hat. But when I come walking in wearing, you know, like pants and a nicer shirt yeah. and stuff and my hair's done, they're like, uh oh. <laughs> it's work time. Yeah. Larry's in work mode. <clears throat> it's rebel time. Yeah. All right. So um I'm gonna ask that question at the very end because we kind of got into this. So now another rabbit trail. Yeah. So how do I date my wife? Great question. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you want to answer that, but I have another question for you. No, go ahead, ask yours. So why, why an Ethiopian kid? Yeah. So it, you, you know, it's, it's it seems strange to me. We're in the Bay area. So it seems strange that people even care why an Ethiopian kid. And then you said before, and I'll just tee it up a bit as you said before it was on your mind and then it was on your wife's mind and you guys both thought Ethiopian, but then you have another son and you said he's, he's Vietnamese, African-American, Vietnamese, African-American. Yeah. So Why? Yeah, I mean, whether you want to believe it or not, it really came from those. I didn't have a clue where Ethiopia was. Uh, I legitimately didn't. Like, if you were like, hey, you know, like, I knew there was the continent of Africa. Right. <laughs> I couldn't tell you where anything was in it. You know, I, I, I could point to South Africa because it's on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. that, that originally at that time, that's where it was. I think my wife was really in a similar place. Um it just got stuck in my mind. I literally couldn't tell you specifically why, how, um, they don't even do, um, adoptions, international adoptions out of Ethiopia anymore. Why? Um, corruption, mm. politics, money, a whole bunch of stuff like that. So after that, okay. So we, after Malachi, then you have another daughter. 
Yeah. And then you think, let's adopt again. I don't think. My wife thinks. Okay, so it wasn't this. We both look at each other in the eyes and the stars show up and we both are thinking the same thing it this time. It was not an experience at all like that this time. I was done. I felt like this is our family. Why were you done? Um, I just felt like it was it. I felt comfortable, felt happy. Did it feel comfortable and happy or did it feel like we're at our max and I can't imagine another Both. thing? That was comfortable enough to be like, hey, this is a lot of work. We could survive this work. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, you know, there was there's extra needs for Malachi. Um, that, what do you uh, mean? There's extra needs for Malachi. Uh, he's just he needs he needs he's just always had um, some extra needs that need to be taken care of. He's been a lot of Head Start programs and Got different it. therapies Got and it. IEPs and stuff, which is great. He's he's doing awesome. He's a beautiful kid, super loving, very smart, um, but just has some extra difficulties. And some of that comes from um, there's so much that happens, you know, in the in the tummy yeah, to man. those first couple of years, we actually didn't get him until he was seven months. And that had to do with a bunch of different paperwork stuff that kept going sideways. Mm. They ended up having a governmental break in the midst of that. So he got out of the hospital because he was premature and was just real sick for a long time. He got out of the hospital when he was um, just over two months. So from when he was born until just over two months and then he got moved into an orphanage. So we got him at seven months. When we got him, it was the craziest, dude. He um, <clears throat> was in like a little spot that was the size of your chair, if that. In the orphanage. T- uh-huh, there was two babies. That's where he lived. Seven months. Couldn't even hold his head up. Like he had rub spots. He had like scabies. He like couldn't smile, make facial expressions. Cause because just, he hadn't had much interaction. Zero. So they would walk by and hand a kid like a bottle. He was had a very like extended tummy. Because he did, wasn't getting any kind of protein in his diet. Yeah. He was having a lot of tea. Um, so when we got back, we landed and took him to the doctor. And then he spent like the next four or five days in the hospital. Wow. He was that sick. Um, and there's just so much that happens from learning like eye contact with a parent or just how to smile or laugh. He had none of that. And so then he struggled with attachment. Not attaching to us. But literally, you couldn't set him down, and he wouldn't let go of you. He was like a monkey. He had the craziest grip, um, and you would try to like set him down or get him off you or even just to change him, and he would freak out. He wouldn't let go of whatever. You had to pry his fingers off, and it's so sad, but really, you connected it with he was just so afraid you were going to leave. Yeah. Like he was just going to be left alone again. Isn't that crazy, too, because he's under one. Can't it, communicate yeah, verbally. It's just that's how you were made. You were made 100%. to need somebody so to there's take care there's of residual you. effects that'll be there for the rest of his life yeah because of the trauma of his birth yep you know honestly then that happens um and we don't know what any kind of care was whether there was trauma for mom before that right <clears throat> and in that and then the trauma of the first seven months of his life i mean it's it's nuts now so, our our youngest guy yeah. Okay. Um, so was, be, before you say the youngest guy, so how old is Malachi when you're going to get your next son? Um, well, Malachi's 10, he's four. So he's six. So he's six. So you've had five years of our biological and, and our adopted and the difficulties and the fullness and the, we can manage this. And there's something in your wife that goes, I want to do this again. Um, yeah. Or is it that there's more kids out there? So it was, it was, 
she just started feeling the pull again. She, yeah. So where how we went through this process is she she started bringing it up again. Kept saying like I don't think we're done, and kept being like you're nuts. Like, yeah. This is crazy. Went through even the conversation of like, golly, like you work full time, I work full time. Like, we're we're letting our kids spend time with other people, and everything else. You know, just that whole conversation. Yeah, totally. This is tough. And then you know where are they where are they going to fit? We don't have cars that are for this. We don't have rooms that can stack this up. And um, she wanted to do internationally again. Okay. And so then it turned into well, maybe she talked me into trying out the foster stuff and going to a class and checking it out. So I went to it. Reluctantly, like, I did. Yeah, I just wanted to be a good a husband. Teaser. Yeah, be, yeah. Okay, be a good husband. There you go. That's better than sure. That's good. <laughs> um, and I wanted to explore what was you know on our heart, trying to figure it out. So yeah. we went through like nine weeks of class. Honestly, it was fairly arrogant because we had adopted. Actually, learned some new things, but was like, come on, I could teach some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. And some of it's not really like you think it is. Although not realizing it was actually much different than international adoption versus dealing with. Um, what's going on with a family and being a concurrent planning family, which is a whole different conversation. Go through that. And then it takes forever. It took. So after this, we're waiting for a placement and we're very specific because we've already got three kids. Right. Right. So we're very specific because we don't want to change a birth order for Malachi. Our mm. youngest daughter, we weren't as worried about because she's always going to be the baby girl. Yeah. And we were going to get a boy. Okay. Um, we were open to having a boy that, you know, was African-American or some sort of. So there was no, there was just, we're open to whoever the kid is. No, there was no, that was, we, we weren't open completely because we didn't want to mess up like birth order. But I mean, as we far weren't as... going to be able to handle something that was really sick. Okay. You no know, child with special needs just right. because we already knew we had three and what we'd be inviting ourselves into. Not that other people shouldn't or couldn't, but for us and for, looking yeah, your at what's place. best yeah. for our family, because that's our family first, not whoever this new kid is, right? Um, 22 months. You waited for 22 months to get any placement. Yeah. So. Wow. It was, well, what they kept offering was older kids, like everything outside of what we had specifically right, said. Right, right. So it's really weird. That it took that long. I mean, there's so many kids. There's so many foster kids around. And so it was really odd. And so about 22 months in, um, it was becoming a real struggle between my wife and I because I was like really done because we were still having to keep up like the certification and education of it. I mean, we were kind of always mm. on call. We were having to keep our house a certain way and people just stop by and see stuff. But we've never had a kid in here. And so it was just, it was just different. The kids, you know, are kind of like forgot about it, but still around it and they're excited about it. And, um, I, uh, one night sat down with my wife cause, uh, I had been talking to my friend like, man, we, we've never been on such different pages. I am seriously done. Not interested. If we got to, I'm no go. Like we're going to have a problem. And, uh, and she was the other way. Like, no, we're going to have a problem. Like, this is, we're doing this. We're going to keep walking down this road. So you said you sat down with a friend and shared that or you yeah, and no, her I, sat down? No, I talked to a friend first. So then I decided I got to talk to her about this. And so like a real than, talk, not just like passing through the house or yeah, normal day to day. So we sat stuff. down and the talk wasn't exactly like that. It was, it was literally this. I sat across from her and just said, what breaks your heart? Hmm. I just want to know what breaks your heart. And she got kind of emotional and she's like, I was not ready for that kind of question. And then she just like shared her heart. Like out of nowhere about that, you know, kids are people in need that can't take care of himself 
or that don't have somebody that would love them and, you know, help come alongside them and their stuff. It breaks their heart. And then I got emotional about it and I'm like, well, then I want my heart to break for what your heart breaks for. And so then I was like, well, looks like we're doing this, <laughs> but it shifted because, um, my mentality shifted to, mm. to a healthier spot yeah. when it came to that. And so here was the crazy thing. Two days later, we got a phone call. They said, Hey, we got a little guy for you. He's in the hospital right now. Tomorrow at nine 30, we need you to meet us. And it was what? Are you wow. kidding me? Is this serious? Sure enough, man, that we showed up nine 30. Demetrius, um, comes, comes in wrapped up in a blanket, a onesie with a Walmart bag that had some disposable wipes in it, one diaper and two emergency bottles. And they handed him over and said, here you go. Good luck. Nothing else. That was his whole life. Had just come out of the hospital was, uh, unfortunately a, a part of, a a situation where mom was, uh, got, had the baby taken away because of drugs Yeah, and was on drugs. And so there was a lot of um, health issues right off the bat. And then that started an almost three year journey, um, until they decided, um, the court decided that they weren't going to, um, have him go back to mom or family member, but that he would become permanently adopted and become our son. Three year journey. Yep. And I'm sure there's just under three years. Yeah. I'm sure there's just a slew of stories from that process but the thing, and you yeah, get, and letting the kids, the other kids, be a part of it. They were part of bringing every them of into it. the life, like you said. And you know what? I mean, there was there was a there was a time that we were pretty sure um, there after two years they were going to remove him from our house. So during that three years, was he in your house? He was in there every time, but every week we had multiple visits with mom or somebody else. That's so he was tough. Constantly in the move, um, and then um, had a couple of overnights away from us. And so there got to be a point where we thought that they were going to end up, you know, um, reuniting and, uh, yeah, having to deal with the kids. That was kind of difficult because it was literally like bereavement. Like it was grief that was going on. So we, we were like, what did we just do to our kids and our family? Because you have this baby that's in and out of the house. It was essentially going to be death. They were going to experience their first major emotional loss and it was going to be their brother that they looked forward to that now they met new and then would never, ever see again. So, gone. so then is there these difficult conversations between you and your wife as well, where, you know, on one level you'd want him to be reunited with his biological family. But if you, you, you also know a hundred percent, gosh, that's so tough. tough. So it was tough too, as you know, we've already talked about this, but as a follower of Jesus, I'm like, I want redemption and I mm. want re- rehabilitation. Yeah. But unfortunately at the time, you know, his, it comes down to this when Demetrius talks to us and said, why didn't you have me stay with my mom? Why didn't you have me be with, you know, like my family? Um, and it would be like, Hey, we didn't make this decision. We just said we were care for you and love you and take care of you. Yeah. A judge made that decision and decided that at the time your mom wasn't responsible enough to take care of you. It's not that your mom didn't love you. Your mom loves you a lot. And I fully believe that. But unfortunately her soul was stolen from some drugs and it wasn't appropriate at the time. So it's nothing to do with love. Everyone actually loves you enough that this happened. Um, and we had to have those conversations even with our kid because I want that for her. I want reconciliation. I, and which is weird to some people. Like I would love if he knew his mother, I would love, but right now it's not healthy for him. Yeah. 
um, and hasn't been healthy for him or her. Um, it's, um, so it's really difficult because you have this tug and pull. Like part of me almost was like, let's just let it go. And you know, like, you know, we weren't really fighting for anything, but there was an opportunity to like fight for him to have a voice in this. And, um, and then it was just a, a challenge of, no, no, no. Right now we've been asked to be responsibility as a dad. Ooh. Um, and we're responsible for him and he doesn't have a voice and no one else is giving him a voice and we need to be that voice. And, um, we felt like that was really appropriate, but at the same time, you have this tug of war of you can't do it. So you shouldn't do it. And then also I want you to do it. I want a redemptive relationship. I want reconciliation. Yeah. I want a new life for you and hope and all of those things. Um, and so it's really difficult. I'll just say that, that you, the difficult part is, is man, we all hate doing this too. We hate living in the gray and intention. We want it to be this or that. Right. We, we feel like you got to pick a side. But living in the middle is where it's healthiest, but it's very uncomfortable. Um, but that's where the most growth, most growth happens at the same time too. Yeah. Man, I love how you said that you had to be the dad. So you stepped into this boy's life and you're trying to help navigate. Well, w- here's the deal. I'm the only dad that he's ever had. I'm mm-hmm. the only dad he'll ever have. They never, they haven't found dad. They don't know who dad is. They spent years searching for dad. They did tests to do dad. They did like yeah. all the, all the things you could private investigators figure out who dad was to him. So I have this special gift of literally being the only dad in his entire life. Now my wife doesn't get that. He has mm-hmm. a mom. He's met mom. He's got pictures of mom. He's, How do you... mom. He's got a grandma, right? But I'm his dad. So there's like some weight to that. Yeah. And, and you chose huge gift. And then I'm like sitting here going, wait, wait, I just got given this gift, this honor, this opportunity. And I was the one moaning and groaning about it. I mean, like I was the one who was mm. like, nah, I'm super done. Don't want anything to do with this. So, yeah, that's pretty beautiful, man. That's cool. It's very cool. How are you? So I have two questions relating to you and your wife's relationship. How are you a husband to your wife when there are the moments where he has two moms? One, he's, you know, to be honest, my wife's the only mom he really knows. Of course. Um, And. But I mean from, not from his view, but from hers. Sure. Does she ever feel, I mean, we're human, right? So life is messy and hard. Is there ever times where she feels that it's hard? And, yeah, and yeah, but I mean, I think there, there's empathy there. Mm. Um, but, um, I mean, you know, all cars out in the deck, we haven't had contact in a long, long time. Yeah. Um, so it's not this constant reminder for her. No, we, we do though. Um, grandma who lives out in Georgia, she comes out and visits oh. you know, every quarter probably on her own dime. Um, and, uh, he has other half siblings that live around and then some that are a lot older than him that are like down South Southern California area. Um, so occasionally too, he gets to, he's got actually a younger sister that's a half sister. 
and uh, we'll do like parties with them every once in a while and some other kind of cool stuff that worked out. They originally asked us to take his um, half sister because through this process, um, unfortunately, that sounds so bad, but I mean, she, she ended up getting pregnant again. Mom did um, with another guy. And uh, that was really tough to say like, man, when we invited ourselves into this, does that mean we said yes to like everything, everything like another kid? And we had to come to that decision of like, what's best for our family. And it was really hard. I bet. To say, no, we can't. And uh, a really beautiful thing happened was the, um, the county, you know, CPS, the, the, the yeah. people who deal with this stuff. They, um, there's another family that we didn't even know about that was actually just like two streets down from us that had been kind of in the queue and was available for foster and said, all right, well, we know that, you know, for us, my wife and I, we owned our house. These people had a house, so they'll probably be there for a while. Yeah. So they said, let's place this little girl over there. And so they did, which has been the, the nice part where I said, like, it's kind of cool. And now their family is, you know, grown and their kind of story. And, you know, we kind of feel like we're a part of all of it. Yeah. So it's. Wow. Those things don't, I mean, do they just happen? I mean, that is so you know what? They, incredible. I think that they happen if you're open for it to happen. I mean, mm. this is, this isn't just my story. This is, this could be everybody's story. Yeah. You know, when it comes to adoption too, or I think, um, my, my go-to line is everyone should do it, but nobody should do it. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should do this because this is really what you should do. This is what we should do as a community, as a faith community, as just people, human should beings. Adopt. Yeah. I mean, look at, I mean, we, who else is supposed to care for these people, these kids, I mean, there, there's not, I'm not against, you know, having your own, your own kids. I and mean, we've done the same thing, but there's hundreds of thousands of kids that have nowhere, no one that want, they have no identity. Their identity is lost. They're just floating. And so everyone should do that. We should step up and we could actually do something and make some sort of impact. Yeah. And, um, but nobody should do it because it's that hard. Like the, the, yeah, man, it the moments me for sure. of lament, the of fear of being out of control of being on this emotional roller coaster and saying like, wow, I invited myself into this. You think, golly, you're a crazy person. But my, I feel like, you know, I told you my wife and I've been married for almost 15 years. I, I feel like we have the type of relationship now that a 30 year old marriage has yeah, because of the things that we've gone through and had to work through that, that was just way easier to quit. You know, so when it how, comes to like adoption stuff too, unfortunately you see a lot of people who go through the process of adoption and once the adoption is complete, they actually get separated. I mean, that's a huge statistic. Really? Yeah. Just too much. So how do you, how do you stay close to your wife? So you said you had to process a lot. You have a 30 year marriage in 15 years. I feel like that. How do you, how do you do that? How do you build that relationship with her? Um, I date my wife every day. Okay, so you brought that up a minute ago. So how do you date your wife every day? Yeah, so um, some people think we're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, man, but we um, um, the kids go upstairs to their rooms for the night at 7 o'clock every night. Really? Yep. So we get a, pretty much a date every night, time to ourselves. Um, so we get So do home. you have dinner as a family? Some, we do. Some nights, I mean, I know it's hard. Yeah. Sports and stuff sometimes. Yeah, no, we have, we have, um, yeah, we get home between five and five thirty, everybody. And then, uh, we get homework done at the same time. Dinner's done. There's time. Maybe we'll ride our bikes if it's outside, talk about some of the stuff. And then we're into the, 
bedtime routine. And uh, even our even our seventh grader is upstairs at seven, and she's in her room. She reads. Does she works does her homework. own thing? She, yeah, the rest of them are pretty much lights out, or they get a certain amount of time to read. They get a light. They're not on a screen or nothing like that. Yeah. Um, and then we're we're downstairs. We get to connect. We get to talk. I mean, that's where people are like, oh, we don't ever talk to each other because it's kids. And by the time the kids are bed, we're in, we're in bed. But like, I mean, if you think about it, from seven to ten or whatever time we go to bed, we get three hours a night of just us, just hanging out. So there's, I would say, thirty um, percent of the time. We'll actually wait and eat just together afterwards and we'll just feed the kids and hang out with them and talk and help them do stuff and connect. Um, every Monday night, um, that was something we established a long time ago is actually date night. We don't actually go out most of the time. We can, if we wanted to, but date night, all the kids know it's kind of funny. Um, because, uh, like at six o'clock our like alarm goes off and it says date night. And so, uh, you know, we'll say to each other like, Hey, happy date night. And the kids will be like, Hey, happy date night. Why do you think so, they're stoked? Why do you think your kids are stoked that you're having a date night? I think because they just see this, you know, loving and caring for each other and that it's something that they get to see and be a part of, you know, it's, it's the, it goes back to like, we're doing life together. They're, they're seeing all of it. Um, and, um, so date night is we do stuff. We take care of the kids. We don't eat with the kids. We put the kids down, we get them all set. And then we also don't have our phones out don't have workout unless it's an emergency. You can't schedule something else. And so it's a time where we either can sit and have a business meeting. We can have, um, so you're saying you on your date night, you can have a business meeting. Yeah, we can have, we can have a business meeting okay. then if we need to and knock out some stuff, you know, calendar or whatever yeah, we're doing. Yeah. Um, um, we, uh, maybe if we want to watch something, we watch something. If we just want to talk, we want to talk, whatever we want to do. It's, it gets open, but it's nothing else. So, so then at six o'clock, do you say, Hey, what do you want to do tonight? Or do you kind of already have an established idea of what's going to happen? Most of it's not established. It's, it's a happy date night. We're going to figure it out afterwards. We know what we're going to eat. And then, so sometimes like there's times that we'll schedule it out cause we might actually go out yeah. um, or it's, you know, something else is planned. Like we would say sometimes like, Hey, we need to talk about these certain things or we need right. to go over the budget or we need to go over the calendar. Or we need to make a decision about this vacation. You know, t- uh, we'll do it a date night. Um, kids go to bed, we eat our stuff They're Like we've even gotten in trouble in the past because my wife does like a book club or how something going on. And it's like, you, you're not allowed to do that. Mm. Like you, you were actually supposed to say, no, I'm not available at night. Cause it's set apart. Like it's just the different night. There are seasons where we've had to just change which day in the week it is. Um, the other thing that date night always ends with is intimacy. So it's, it sounds stupid and silly, but it's like scheduled in, but it allows room for everything else during the week to be organic and yeah. cared for. Yeah. Um, so some people may be like, Oh my gosh, you actually scheduled like a date night and you eat together and you schedule even, you know, intimacy and it's yeah, hundred percent. Cause those are the things that are important to our relationship and our connection and the health of that. Yeah. That's something that we, you know, exclude the kids from <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the, and the knowledge of that stuff probably but, wouldn't be yelling date night anymore. What's that? They probably wouldn't be yelling cool date night anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dad's getting lucky. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, we, we, you know, even when you, you kind of like drop the intimacy, we, we, and, and it is a private, you know, it's, it's private thing that we, we don't talk about, but I think that just the level of expectation that comes around that sometimes in a marriage, you know, it's kind of funny cause you hear old people joke, like 
Sunday nights or whatever, you sure, know, sure. but I think that over time, if you pay attention to these two people who are coming together to become one and do life as one, that a lot of times, I mean, even in our, my own marriage is like the expectations that each of you have. So sometimes it's just easier, not easier, but I love that you said it's both because you said it's scheduled that we, we are setting apart time for us. This, this time right here is holy. This is different than everything else. It's not look like every other night. This is focused on who we are and who we're becoming. Right. But you also said there's still the room for organic, weak relationship, you know, during the week. And yeah, I, think I think that cre- both- I think it actually creates it. Mm. I think it creates yeah. it in a, in a healthier way. Um, and there's, I mean, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah. There's so many things that go into it. But it's good. It's good to consider as you are married and as you're trying to invest in that marriage and go, yeah. we got little kids, you know, we there's got no time to do these things. I'm so exhausted. It's, there's a thousand things that turn into, oh, yeah. this is where it all came from, bro. Like this is why it came up. This wasn't just like out of the blue and we, right. we, we, we didn't start this you way. You didn't take a class when years you got married. Years ago we did that because we were young parents. We were young professionals and it was like, we're not getting the quality time or the needs met or the connection time. So it was a decision that was made. I mean, it's the same thing goes like people are like, oh gosh, they hear things like they're like, I can't get my kids into bed before nine o'clock or nine 30. Like, well, yeah, yeah, you can. You're their parent. You know, like one of your only jobs is to do is to protect their mind and their heart. I mean, so protect their mind a little bit and you know, be healthy yourself and get them some good sleep and, you know, yeah. whatever else. But you do you. I mean, your, your, your parenting is different. It's unique. We all feel like, you know, different pressures of that. But, but at least think about it. You can. But so here's the deal. You are actually in control and you are responsible enough and have the responsibility of not only taking care of your children, but making sure that your marriage is healthy so your kids grow up with two parents mm. and they're not seeing issues because you couldn't be responsible enough to handle your own crap. I mean, that's where it starts. Pretty simple. We am um, difficult to we do. We discovered though. way too late. So here's a little, little tidbit of advice, you know, real quick. Give it to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we have all these kids. It was, we, we would get away maybe once a year, like overnight, mm-hmm. just the two of us. It wasn't until our oldest was 10. So a couple of years ago that we actually got away and went away for like four nights and we have now decided that it will happen every year for a week. And so we do family vacation and then mom and dad go away every year now for four to five nights by themselves or with some other adult friends Yeah, because we are healthier people. We're better together and we're better parents. Yes. Like we come back and we're like better. Yes. All of those things are better because we're healthy. And we're healthy because we invested into our relationship where you see so many issues is your relationship becomes so focused around the kids and everything is investing into making sure your kids are healthy and this experience is good and they get through this and like, Oh, we raised them. Then your kids 17, 18. And then suddenly you're staring at each other for a date night for the first time in forever. And you're like, who are you? I don't even know who you are. The only reason we've been hanging out is just to get our kid through this thing. Yeah. And the kid has become my best friend and you're not. And now my kid's gone. And so I think I might be gone. Like that's, that's where that stack comes from, man. Okay. So much so good it's intentional investments, uh, but it's, I you want to be a good dad, be a good husband first. Oh period. yeah. And, and I think when your kid moves out, 
I mean, yeah, you had them for 18 years if you kind of go by this status quo plan. Sure. Now they have a whole life they have to go live and they don't know how to be uh, a parent. They don't know how to love a spouse. They don't know how to put a spouse first because they've never seen it. They've never seen it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times, you know, you said you did one night and then you went four or five. And I've noticed when I go with my wife, if it's one night, it's a little, it's hard to get out of the routine of life. So you're already thinking like the hooks waiting for me when we get home tomorrow night at eight, right? Where if you're, you're gone for four or five nights, you, forget about all that stuff and you really just get to be totally present with one Fully, person. Yeah. And I think that's so important well, for think people about to what do. You, I mean, little things teach your kids so much. So when you get home from work, um, you walk through the door, what happens first? Well, my office is on my property. Okay. So, so when you walk in though, but when I walk in and I leave my work yeah. and I come in, I come in and I hug my wife, kiss my wife and I come in before and before any of the other kids. Yes. Sometimes they'll run up and hug me. Right. Yeah. They'll run up and hug okay. me and say, that's Hi, a Dad. perfect example. People need to hear that. What you've taught your kids is that this is your number one. Right. Right. And I'll do the, the I do the same thing in the morning before they go. Cause I send them all off. My wife, um, her work is right next to where their school is. So she, she, this is the first time that she's got all four of them now taking them. Cause mm. we used to be in different spots. Yeah. So I help them get going, get them out to the car. Same thing in the morning. She's the last, I say goodbye to everybody else. And she's the last one that I'll hug for a while in the driveway. I'll give her a good kiss. I'll look at her, have a good day. You know, we're not making out or nothing like that, but it's like intentional. Like, yeah. Hey, you're my person. Um, and that teaches kids so much about like when they get older, those types of things. The other thing that happens is, is, you know, like if my kids are acting a fool around my wife, they will get every once in a while, like, Hey, don't mess with my wife, bro. Yeah. Like back off my wife. That's my wife. I get that. They're your mom, but that's my wife first. And we're going to have a problem. Like that a mom thing is going to happen in a minute if you keep doing this, but, but I, we got eyes. You and me. Then my daughters too get to go like, oh, that's how a husband should treat it. Yeah. A wife. Yeah. That's how a man should treat a woman. All right. So we're going to wrap up in just a second, but there's one, two things I want to jump back to. Sure. And maybe the first one's more of a statement, but when you weren't on the same page with your spouse yeah. about the, the second adoption, mm-hmm. You went and sat down and said, what breaks your heart? Yeah. When you shared that with me and we're both sitting here talking about it, I mean, there was definite like the feels, right? Yeah. What would our world... I got a little misty-eyed. What would our world look like if more men, doesn't have to be adoption, just were in tune with their wife to go, what breaks your heart? What matters to you? What would it look like if more men actually shared with their wife what breaks their heart? Mm. What if, do you think men know what breaks their heart? That's a great question to ask yourself. You're riding in the car right now. You're listening to this or you're, you know, you're, you're going to be going in a minute, San Francisco. Do you have an answer for that question? For what breaks my heart? Yeah. People. I love people. Mm -hmm. I hate seeing, I guess if it would be one thing, it would be the family unit. Like I think family is so important. Yeah. And I think that, you know, based on my beliefs about the world and what was created, I think that the family is this first initial community that we're supposed to be able to look at as a safe place to be. And I think when I, when I see family that isn't, it breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to learn from that question. Like, yeah, so I totally agree. Like, what would it look like to, um, 
you know, as a, as a man, as a father to start even asking your kids those things yes, and, and understand like truly deeply who they're created to be and what their identity is kind of being wrapped up in to understand that from your, your son or your daughter, it's, there's power behind it because there's intimacy behind it. But unfortunately I think a lot of men feel fear when it comes to that or like it's not manly enough or, yeah, or like it's too, too much feels mm-hmm. too much of emotion or just not normal because that's how they grew up. And you know, there wasn't the, I love yous or there wasn't the uh, hugs. There wasn't intimacy. And so that's honestly something they actually struggle with in a healthy way. Um, we don't invite ourselves into those things. You know, it's, it feels too risky. Yeah. And I think, I mean, at least when you ask me, like you asked me the question, right? Yeah. There's this like, Ooh, gosh, do I have the right the answer, answer or yeah. the answer? Mm-hmm. So as we started talking about it, I, I thought, I don't even think it's about the answer, which right. is hard for us a as men and be in our world to not have like a black and white yeah. answer. But just to ask the question, to be intimate enough to have a conversation around it, even if there isn't an answer, are we willing to ask ourselves what breaks our heart and then ask our spouse and then ask our kids, like, what really truly matters to you? And let's just talk about it. Yeah. There doesn't have to be an answer. Oof. That'd be good. That is good. Okay. Then my last question, which I normally ask at the beginning, and you know, you've given us a lot of uh, examples of this already, but the podcast is rebel and create fatherhood field notes. So mm-hmm. fatherhood field notes, simple, right? You and I have been fathers. You've been a father for years and you have experience that you can share. Yeah. Rebel and create is, can be applied to many things, but what are, what's something that we're rebelling against in hopes to create something out of the rubble. And uh, maybe you could point to something that we've already talked about, or maybe there's something else on your mind. Sure. Um, I, I feel like I've, I've talked about it a little bit, but I would say that I'm really going to war with uh, time mm. and how time is used or the busyness and hurried feel that you need to be with your kids, you know, especially with four kids. And you mentioned this a little bit like, oh man, what does a night look like? And you know, there's sports and there's this activity and there's this project and there's this homework. And so, um, the margin finding healthy margin and teaching that you don't have to just smash everything up. You don't constantly have to be doing something, but figuring out how to be like fully present in situations and building it in. So I, I've, um, that's, I'm, I'm still working through that. And I mentioned a lot of different ways, whether it's like, you know, bedtime stuff or weekend dates at work or, you know, dating your kid in different other ways or not taking everybody to the grocery store, but taking a few, yeah. You know, like those, you know, taking one kid for a walk or just figuring out how to pause and stop because I think that we can involve our kids in our own rest and teaching our kids what rest looks like or just space and busyness that we don't have to be a part of it. I mean, you see this right now and it's a big conversation of relationships and community now. It's a lot of forehead to forehead rather than eye to eye because mm-hmm. um, we're all just looking down at something or we're focused on something else. And you know, we're, we have this ubiquitous opportunity for entertainment that just never goes away and we can just sit and just take and take and take, but we stop taking what's right in front of us and we're missing out on something beautiful. And in reality, we're missing on teaching this next generation almost on what community looks like in healthy ways. So I would say I'm trying to, for, my family rebel against that, but not rebel to the degree of abstinence. Like 
I don't want to get rid of it altogether because yeah. it's the world we live in. Right. So finding what like healthy balance looks like, not to be too extreme one way or the other. Yeah. You know, like easy example that you shared with beforehand, you grew up and you weren't trick or treating, right? Yep. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to be absent from something like that, but it's like, how do we, you know, be a part of things that culture and community that's still normal and regular, um, but find healthy balance too. And I'm using that as a random example. No, I think it's a great example. Yeah. But there's extremes to it. Yeah. Well, Larry, thank you so much for your time. I know being, uh, you know, just life, like you said, life is very full. Um, but making time for things that matter. Yeah. You are an incredible father. Thanks husband let's ask my kids that first uh, yeah <laughs> there's the test yeah there's the test but just your intentionality in it you know i mean you you said it before it's not all i don't know what word you use but it's not all unicorns and rainbows all the time right it's messy it's yeah. messy but pausing to ask questions pausing to think about it you know um i think i like fatherhood in the sense that it's a level playing field whether I'm the richest, most famous person or not, right? fatherhood is fatherhood and we are all start at the same spot at it. Yep. And so we have to figure it out. And so it's important that us men are willing to share this with each other so that we can, we can every day continue to strive to be the best fathers we can be for our families. Yep. An honor and an opportunity to leave something to the next generation that you won't be here for. Legacy. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Well, thank you and much love to you and your family and keep doing what you're doing. For sure, man. Appreciate it. Love you, man. Later. I so enjoyed that conversation and I'm sure you did too. I mean, there were so many little takeaways that were incredible. Um, The men being vulnerable, the asking your spouse or your friends or your kids, what breaks your heart? Oh my goodness, that question alone, if we asked people and we paid attention and we really cared about the answer, I mean, that simple question can help shape our world. Another thing that he said that just really stuck out to me is, do you want to be a good dad? Be a good husband first. Super incredible if you have found yourself on the adventure of marriage to really consider that and consider what that looks like and means to your family. Uh, Before we head out, I just want to remind everybody about the Kickstarter fundraiser for the Fatherhood Legacy Journal. I've been journaling for 18 years. Uh, It has helped me see who I have been, helped me see who I am and what I'm living through today, who I want to be for tomorrow. This journal, I've spent hours and hours and hours designing for everyday dads like you and I so that we can be engaged and present with ourselves and with our families. So please go support it. Go buy a journal. Buy a journal for a friend that's a dad. Share it with a dad. Give it as a gift uh, and then share it online because this is all hands on deck. Let's make this thing happen. I want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Please be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in the craft of fatherhood.